Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. So let me give you a view of my life on occasion. I'll be sitting in my office and and looking and working on something on the screen and think, you know what, I I really want to print this off so I can take a pen and, you know, cross things out and draw arrows and work on this so I can get it to where I want it to be. It's easier for me sometimes to do it that way than on the screen in front of me. Then Then I fix the screen in front of me. And so I send it to print, tell it to choose the right printer, send it down to the office downstairs to print. And um, so I'm thinking, well, you know, while that's printing, actually what happens, you know, I I don't know how this works for any of you, but I get up and I get up from my desk and I start walking toward the office and all of a sudden, wow, I need to go to the bathroom. (laughs) So I head to the bathroom and I go to the bathroom. And when I come out of the bathroom out here, I look in the foyer and I'm thinking, you know what? These chairs, they're going to have to be moved. I might as well do it right now. And then I move the chairs and then uh, I get a message on my phone, you know, and I go back and forth a couple times like that. And then the phone rings. I talk to somebody and they say, hey, I left my code at church. Can you take a look and see where to leave it and go look at all that kind of stuff? And all said and done, I go back and sit down in my office and, and look, look at the screen and say, what was I doing? Oh, yeah, and then head for the office and get the printing. Anybody that happened to you in your life? You ever get sidetracked from what you're doing? Yeah, it's a pretty common occurrence, isn't it? And that's not that big a deal, really, for something like that, because I got stuff done and it just didn't happen in the order that I thought it'd be, and a little frustrating, not a big deal. But what about if you're, you get sidetracked in the big things of life so that your life isn't going where it's supposed to be? I think we've all found ourselves there from time to time, too. So let's, let's review here. We've been talking to Colossians. We want to remember where our life is supposed to be headed. So let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Colossians. I believe that's page 1353. Still is where we're at. And we encourage you to follow along in your own Bible or in that Bible that's under the chairs, page 1353. And so we've seen a bunch of stuff in the first chapter But let's start in chapter two here because he kind of uh, gives us a little review and a little, maybe expands on a little bit of the idea where we want our lives to be headed. So he says, for I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, okay? So I I have this conflict going on inside of me because, Paul is saying, because you, I haven't met you and I, I don't know if I've told you the things that you need to know and so he's concerned about that. And this is what he said he, is, he, he wants to see, that their hearts may be encouraged. Okay, so I think you're ready to stop. I'm going to go, Lord, encourage my heart. Do you ever need God to encourage your heart? Yeah, right? Even if things are going well, sometimes you need some just encouragement. Like, keep going, Walt. Keep, keep doing I don't think the Holy Spirit will say to you, keep going, Walt. But... He'll encourage you. And so that's Paul's desire, that they, their hearts would be encouraged in their relationship with God, with Christ. And then he says, being knit together in love. 
And so this being knit, the idea of knitting something, right? It gets all interwoven and, and, and not tangled, but all hooked together. And so he wants our hearts to be knit together in love. And I think the main idea here is with each other, but also with God, because those two things go together, right? Because God says, if you love me, you will love each other. And so we got to grow in our love for him and our love for each other. Uh, you know, I kind of said it when I was giving the announcements, but does it encourage your heart when you come to church and see these other people that you have a love for and they have a love for you? Does that matter to you? I mean, we know that it should, right? But does it? We want to get to where it does. And this is what he's saying, that, that we would come and value that and experience that and give that. And by the way, let me say to you, I am very, very encouraged so many times by what I see going on with you. When I see you talking with one another, uh, sometimes praying with one another, and sometimes it's people, oh, I didn't even know you guys knew each other. And, and seeing that going on, it's, it's an encouragement to me. And so keep it up, okay? Uh, when you look around and you see somebody that you don't know and they're kind of by themselves, right? Go show the love of Christ by being interested, right? It just makes a huge difference and I appreciate the fact that you guys do that pretty well. But we want to keep doing that. And then he says, and attaining to all the riches of, uh, of the... Here we go, look again. To all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. And so... That's a lot of words there, but what he's saying is that we would understand and know what God has done. Because when the Bible uses the word mystery here, when Paul used the word mystery in his writings, he means something we didn't know before, but now we know that God has shown us. And so with the, the Jewish people, they didn't understand this truth about Jesus, they didn't know the, who the Messiah was going to be, what he was going to look like, what the church was going to be, what's that about, you know, all of that stuff. And so God has revealed it. And Paul says, I want you to know this. I want you to understand this. I want you to uh, let this shape your life. And so for all of us, we, we need to keep growing in that and, and experience this. And then verse three, in whom are hidden, in the Father, in God, in whom are hidden, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Treasures of wisdom. Wisdom about life. Wisdom about a relationship with God. Wisdom about your other relationships. Wisdom about your money. Wisdom about the world in which you live. Wisdom about whatever you need wisdom about. God says, ask me. And then the treasures of knowledge. Knowing the things, right? This knowledge, knowledge of what God says and what God says is important and how God feels about things and all of that. And so he says that they, in other words, who are we looking to in life for our life to be meaningful and matter? Who? It's not a trick question. Who are we looking to? Should be the Lord, shouldn't it, right? And, and so we see here, he kind of, he talks about it in a little different way than he did in chapter one, but it all still comes together. And that is the way your life should be headed is that in all things he may have the preeminence. Right back in verse 18. That's kind of the theme for all of Colossians. We'll see a little bit more about how this relates to the Colossians and what's going on and then how does it relate to us. So this is where our life should be headed. So the question now becomes is how do 
you keep from getting sidetracked. Is it easy enough to get sidetracked in life? I mean, we talk about the little things like I was talking about describing my life, but sometimes it's the big things. You know, sometimes I've had a situation where I'm, I'm doing something, sitting home, and then all of a sudden it, it, the Holy Spirit, I think he's probably been speaking to me about it all along, but he finally gets to me, it's kind of like, what are you doing? Why are you spending so much time on this? Is this really what your life is supposed to be about? And I re remember and realized that, oh man, I got sidetracked again. Not terribly, but it all matters. And so I get sidetracked. So how do you keep from getting sidetracked? And the fact that this is a, it is a reality, a potential thing that could happen to you in chapter one. If you remember, last week we looked at it and where Paul said, talked about not being moved away. Don't be moved away from the hope of the gospel. Why would he tell us that? Not, not a trick question. By the way, I pretty much quit asking trick questions. <laughs> and if I, if I do, I will tell you, okay? That's a trick question, I'll tell you. So, um, and I can't remember what the question was. <laughs> yeah, I got sidetracked in my brain. But this idea that we can be moved away, and so it's something that we need to pay close attention to. So how do we avoid it? How do we keep our lives from getting sidetracked? Well, Paul, the Holy Spirit through Paul has something to say about that here. So let's, let's read verse 4. He says, now this I say, go ahead and go to that next slide if you would, Silas. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Okay? So he's warning them, don't be deceived with persuasive words. And, and I'm glad to see that, that there's an orderliness to your life and that you are steadfast in your faith. But so the first way we're going to keep from getting sidetracked is to really be serious about and alert to the possibility of deception. Um, if I watch the news, if I watch YouTube videos that are related to anything that's going on in the culture and the world, if I read articles about it, what I always see is, wow, those people are deceived. I very seldom have a natural thought that maybe I'm the one that's deceived. Uh, but the reality is we need to realize that could happen, can't it? It can happen. It is possible for us to be deceived and to believe something that really isn't true, believe something that isn't accurate, that leads us to maybe a worldly wisdom about something, which leads us to choices that don't further the kingdom of God, that Jesus doesn't have the preeminence in. And they aren't always bad things, but they aren't Jesus' preeminent things. And that really, really matters. So we need to be alert to that. Be aware. This could happen to me. And so that means, for me, if I'm watching the news, or I'm watching YouTube videos about something going on in the culture, or something related to a Bible teaching, or I'm talking with someone that, I need to be alert. I need to be alert to say, wait a minute, okay, I don't have to say this to the person, but in my mind, I go, wait a minute. I'm buying into this, but is this really true? Is, it, is this really consistent with what God says in his word? And so we want to do that. Now, sometimes the way this happens, 
is we're going along and, and maybe it's in our Bible, we're reading it and a thought comes to mind or somebody teaches us something, we hear something and all of a sudden we have a new idea. Oh, we've heard a new idea. Wow, this is, this is new, this is interesting, I'm excited about it, I look to it. And we feel like we have all of a sudden this new insight, this new enlightenment, okay? Anytime that you find yourself thinking that, wow, this is new, and I don't mean just, oh, I understand it for the first time, I mean, this is a new idea. That is a, a, a time when an alarm ought to go off in your head to check that. Because here's the deal. Yeah, uh, uh, Solomon said it way back in Ecclesiastes, and he asked the question, he says, is there anything of which it may be said this is new? He says, no, there's nothing new under the sun. And so I want you to understand, when the enemy is trying to deceive you, and he will, and I don't necessarily mean him directly, but his influence, his, his worldly wisdom, how he's working through the world system, and when, when he wants to deceive you, let me back up, Jesus said, describing Satan. He said he was a murderer from the beginning. He wants to rob you of your life. God's not going to let him kill you physically, so that isn't going to happen, most likely, but uh, he still, he wants to rob you of, first of all, if you don't know Jesus, he doesn't want you to. Okay? Secondly, if you'd come to know Jesus, he, now you belong to God, and he can't take you away, but he's going to mess with your life as much as he can, because he does not want you to be fruitful and productive. He does not want you to be satisfied and filled with his purpose so that he can be seen and known in you, right? I mean, he doesn't want any of that. I mean, so God can be seen and known in you. He doesn't want that, so he will work against you. So when you hear a new idea, be careful. Slow down, we might say. All right, so let's talk about Peter. Well, before we do that, let's, let's go on. Let's, I want to talk about the kind of deceptions you will find. And then we'll come back to Peter, okay? So persuasive deception that you can find. And so what I'm doing is here is I'm kind of wrapping up what Paul is talking to the Colossians about and kind of putting it in terminology and stuff I think that we can grasp and understand. Here is the, the main idea that Paul is getting to in Colossians when he's talking about being deceived by persuasive words. And it's this. It's Jesus plus something. Jesus is good, but then you need more. You need more. And so when it comes to having a meaningful, purpose-filled, satisfying, and joy-filled life, they say Jesus isn't enough. Go ahead to that, Silas, if you would. Okay? When you're having the life that God intends for you to have, they say, well, Jesus isn't Enough. There's something you need to add. And so here's some things that you should add, maybe, they said. You know, be hyper-religious. And, and I'm not talking about, you know, coming to church and worship, but you, you know what I mean? When someone gets hyper-religious, every little thing they have to do, every, every little religious thing, they think I got to do this and that and that, and how I stand and what I do after I pray and how I, everything, become hyper-religious. That's one of the things they say to add. Or, or be spiritually open. And by that, I don't mean just being open to understanding. I mean open to any idea that comes along. Well, hey, that's good. I like that idea when it might be a lie from Satan. We need to have, be open-minded, but not open 
to things other than what God says is true. Okay? Be spiritual. Follow Christian rules. You can get caught up in that. Uh, I, you know, I spent a fair number of years of my life where I thought certain things were really, really important and you had to follow those. Well, they were good things, but they weren't rules that God had given. So see, I'm grabbing for something else to, to make this be more real in my life. You don't need to do that. Or maintaining Christian appearance. And by the way, the way people do this is not just, I mean, in our culture, I don't think there's a lot of pressure here about how you dress when you come to church. I mean, we aren't doing that, and I thank you that you are doing that kind of thing. But I'm thinking more of a Christian appearance is how are people seeing me, right? I mean, I've heard from numerous people who came here, somebody invited them or they just showed up on their own and they, at some point they came to know Jesus. They received Jesus as Savior. But they're looking around at all of you and they look around and say, wow, all these people are really like almost perfect. All of these people, oh, you guys think that's funny, huh? See, that's good. That's good. But th these people are perfect and they labor under this sometimes for a number of years you know, how, what, how do you say the right thing? I mean, you, you talk to someone and you, you speak so graciously and, and you care about them. Oh, so they try to learn how to talk that way and learn how to act that way. And how do I respond to it? What do I do? We don't need to add anything to Jesus, to our relationship with him. He saves us. He knows us the way we are. And he goes to work on us and helps us to grow. And it's okay to be that person, right? You don't need to add. So these things to add to Jesus. And then sometimes we grab on our own. These things aren't specifically stated in Colossians, but we think we need to add to Jesus money. We need money. I need money. Money makes me feel secure. Money makes me feel significant. Money's going to take care. No, okay, so that's, you, money's nice. You don't need it. You need a relationship with Jesus. Because what did he say he would do when it came to your money? I'll provide your needs. Sometimes we think things are needs that aren't needs. But I'll provide your needs, and probably more. Family, family can take place, you know, where we are making choices about family that set aside Jesus as being preeminent. And, and we really need to be careful about that. Jesus says family's important, right? But he made very clearly what order they come in after him. Okay, so family, pleasure, you know, we just give this list, or having power or people's approval. Man, that's a dark and deep hole. You don't want to go there, okay? So we don't want to be adding something to Jesus. So any, anytime you find something in your life where Jesus, you realize, hey, am I thinking that Jesus really isn't enough? I gotta have this. You want to check that, okay? It's gonna sidetrack if you don't. And so this idea of being serious about an alert to possibility of deception, um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. And so we've got to be careful that we don't think, oh, I'm, I'm not going to be deceived. Now, I don't think you have to be deceived. You don't have, but the idea is if you think, oh, I'm not going to be deceived, and so you don't pay attention, next thing you know, your life could be sidetracked somewhere. Sometimes those are small things. Sometimes those are huge things that's really hard to recover from. Talk about Peter. So Peter, you remember Peter, he, he, he was confident in how he was going to serve the Lord. You remember that? And Jesus says, well, here's what's going to happen in three, uh, a couple days. I'm going to go. I'm going to be taken captive. They're going to try me. They're going to kill me. 
and I'm going to rise from the dead. And, and Peter, you know, says, hey, no way. We ain't letting that happen. And what did Jesus say to him? Do you remember? Get behind me, Satan. Whoa, what? Peter was deceived about what was supposed to be happening. Okay? So then we see, you know, Jesus saying, hey, it's gonna, you guys are all going to take off and leave when this time comes. And Peter says, not me. All these other guys, they may leave you, but not me. And when Jesus was taken captive, Peter's the one who took a sword and tried to stop it. Once again, he was deceived. Jesus had to say, no, no, that's not what we're doing. That's not what we're doing. And then... So Jesus is, is taken captive and tried, all that's happening, and, and Peter does disappear. But Peter, give him credit, what does he do? Everybody else takes off and hides. He follows along, kind of, and finds a place in the courtyard outside to try to see and know what's going on. And he can see Jesus from where he is. But here's, I think, another deception. And Glenda helped me to see this. Um, we're talking about it, and that here's Peter thinking that he can follow Jesus without identifying himself as Jesus' follower. I can just be quiet about that. I don't need to be open about that. And then along comes a, a servant girl who threatens that, threatens his plan. And before we know it, what's he done? Denied the Lord three times. And then he says, the Bible says that Jesus made eye contact with them. And he, Peter was devastated and left. And, and it took a while for Peter to finally believe that God could use him. But see, he was deceived. He bought into things that weren't true about himself and the Lord and how life worked. Okay, second thing we want to see here is that you need to live your life the same way you got saved. Say, so what are you talking about, Walt? Let's look in verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Now, when the Bible says, the New Testament, using, Paul using this word walk, what does he mean? It's how you live, how you're living your life. And was, you're walking through life, how do you live? And he, he says here, let read it again. He says, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord. So how did you receive Jesus the Lord? He said, walk in him, walk in your relationship with him that same way that you got saved. Well, what's he talking about? Well, let's look at uh, Ephesians, something he says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Go ahead and go to that, Silas, please. It says, in him, he's talking to the people who have come to believe in Jesus, in him, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So he's talking about when they got saved. And the elements are here. All the elements. So the idea is, how did you get saved? At some point, somebody, somewhere, shared the gospel with you, didn't they? Now, they may have to do it a lot of times, maybe one time or whatever, but they shared the gospel with you. And so what you did is you learned some truth, didn't you? And that's what he says. You heard the word of truth whether from a preacher or something you're reading or someone talking to you, you, you saw that something, this is, wow, this is true. And then you chose to believe it. And, and, and when you choose to believe the way the Bible talks about, then you what? You trust it. You do something about it. That's how you got saved. 
You heard the truth, you learned the truth to a point finally where it's sufficient where you understood and then you said, I believe this and then you made a decision, you acted on it and received Christ as Savior. So how are we supposed to live our lives? The same way we got saved. So here I am in life, I'm looking and I'm learning something and it ought to be that we're talking about this, right? I learned something from the word or I'm reminded of something and so now I have this truth in front of me here. What do I need to do? I say, okay, I, I believe this. And then do it. Act on it. Take the step that's needed there. That's exactly the way you got saved, wasn't it? All right. So if you want to avoid being deceived, learn the truths of God, believe them, and act upon them. Okay? That will help you to avoid being deceived. All right, let's look at uh, verse 7. He says, he continues this, he says, so walk, and he says this, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So as we're walking through life, going, uh, believing God, acting upon those things, he says these three things need to happen. First, we need to be rooted and built up in him. And so the idea is we need to, to go down deep with the Lord so we can grow up strong. And when I say go down deep, I'm not talking about some old deep, deep knowledge and that kind of thing. Um, I'm talking about deep in a relationship. How did, you know, if, if you're married here today, how did you get into this situation? And some of you think, man, I wish I knew, but no. <laughs> there was at some point where you went deep into this relationship, didn't you? You spent time with them. You wanted to hear. You wanted to know them. You wanted to please them. All this kind of stuff. So you go deep in this relationship. Well, that's what you need to do with the Lord. You need to be, be going to his word and talking with him, listening to him, getting with his people, hearing him encourage you through his people. Spend time with him, walk, making those decisions. So I'm going to walk with you in this way, Lord. You said to do this. I'm going to trust you. I'm going. All that kind of stuff. So we go deep in our relationship with the Lord. That will help prevent you from being deceived. Okay. And then the second thing is to be teachable, both in your availability and your attitude. So he says here, rooted and built up in him, and he says, established in the faith as you have been taught. If you are going to avoid getting sidetracked, you must continually let yourself be taught. You must be taught by, you let yourself be taught by the Holy Spirit, especially from the Word in your own life, personally. But you also need to, and that's why I put in availability and attitude, you need to make yourself available to the teaching of God's word. And let me say, both Pastor Dave and I are really encouraged by the number of you who have stuck around for the Bible studies afterward, right? It's been an encouragement to us. And, and why? Because guess what? That's how you get established in the faith as you have been taught. Very, very valuable. And if you are part of that, let me encourage you. Come be a part of that, at least somewhere. And then be teachable in attitude. Do, has God revealed the truth in his word? And, and are Christians able to understand the truth from his word? Right? So do we have the truth? Do we? Not, remember I promised you no trick questions unless I tell you. We have the truth? We have the truth. Now, Here's the problem. Sometimes we have the truth. Hey, we got the truth. I know the truth. You don't. Now, you probably don't say it that way, but you can have that attitude. 
And when you get that attitude, you're on your own. God resists the proud. Gives grace to the humble. So the idea is we always want to remain teachable, don't we? We want to be open to learn and to understand. That's our attitude. So if we are going to keep growing in our relationship with Christ so we don't get sidetracked, we have to be teachable and to let ourselves be taught. And then the final thing he says here, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Abounding in it with thanksgiving. How does thanksgiving get in this mix of don't, how you don't get sidetracked? Well, think about this. If you're becoming increasingly grateful, that's what God would want us to be, be increasingly grateful. Here's two truths. Grateful people are difficult to deceive. Now, why is that? It's because when you are grateful to God for something, there is a, a satisfaction in your soul, isn't there? There's a sense of contentment. You aren't looking, oh, I've got to find something to make myself feel better. Okay, whatever. No. And so the opposite is true, that discontent opens people up to deception. Because when you're discontent, well, let's just think of it. Let's, let me just use a really right in our face kind of message. If you're married and you find yourself discontent in your relationship and you allow that discontentment to linger, you ponder it, and then all of a sudden somebody walks into your life who, even though you know it's wrong, looks like the answers, answer to your discontent. Now, hopefully you see that for what it is and go, what am I doing? And pull back. But at, at, at best, you will be tempted when you are discontent. At best, you will be tempted, not just about this, but any issue. You will find yourself tempted. At worst, you will act on the temptation. Okay? So he says, be grateful. So these three things, dig deep into that relationship with God, be teachable, and then be grateful. Ponder the things that God has done for you. All right, so let's go now to verse 8 through 10 here. He says, beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Let's back up to verse eight. So he says, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy. So I want you to know, philosophy is not a bad thing. All philosophy is is, is, is really thinking about things and trying to figure things out. And there are people who are uh, ungodly philosophers, and then there are people who are godly philosophers. So it's not philosophy that's the problem. In fact, I, a couple times over my years, I've looked into trying to see if there's a, a college somewhere nearby where I could have got a master's degree in philosophy. I, I really enjoy that stuff. So nothing wrong with the philosophy. Um, tradition of men may or may not be a good thing. Basic principles of the world never are. But here's the key. And not according to Christ. So any of these things, all these things, if it's not according to Christ, if it isn't that Christ has the preeminence here, this is starting to have preeminence in my life. I, I listen to a podcast and like a, a, a guy who... Um, it's, it's a, an apologetics kind of podcast, but it's a 
little on the, I don't know how to say it, the looser end of how he, what he looks at. And, and what I sort of find sometimes is some of these guys get caught up to where their clever thinking is what really matters. But it doesn't. What really matters is Jesus, right? That this is about Jesus and the truth about Jesus and how does this line up with Jesus? And that's what really matters in evaluating things. So this idea of not according to Christ, because remember what was the persuasive deception that this in Colossians, it's what? Jesus plus. Jesus plus something. Go ahead and move the slides there if you would, Silas. So Jesus plus. But here's the reality, and this is what Paul wants the readers of Colossians, including you and me, to see, and that's that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Because when you get Jesus, you get everything else that you need. And if you don't get Jesus in the right place, anything else you have is not in the right place. Okay? So Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So an ongoing relationship then with Jesus is the only way to have that meaningful purpose-filled, satisfying, and joy-filled life. And I put it that way, not just because it's about us, but because when we'd have that kind of life, God is glorified in us. God can be seen in us, right? So, let's remind ourselves some things we don't need then. We don't need to be, have this hyper-religiosity. We don't need to have this, ooh, I'm open to any idea. We don't need to have Christian rules that we follow. We need to do what's right and wrong, right or right, but we don't have to make up these rules. We don't need to worry about our Christian appearance. We also don't need money. We don't need family. We don't need pleasure. We don't need power. We don't need people's approval and put in whatever else you might want to add and then don't. And really what Paul is saying is that stay focused here so that you live in a way, your thinking, your attitudes, your actions, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Right? So, this fourth one, beware of anything that points you away from Christ's preeminence in your life. Beware. Be alert to it. So how do you keep from being sidetracked? In our passage today, Paul says these four things. First, be serious about and alert to the possibility of deception. You could be deceived. So be careful. Be alert. Ask God and then by this, again, where fellowship comes with other Christians to talk about all this, and you can avoid this. Secondly, live your life the same way you got saved. Keep saying, okay, what does God say? What does God say? Okay, I believe that. I'm going to act on it. What does God say? Okay, I believe that. I'm going to act on it. And when you live that way, you're going to get it right, okay? And then third, keep growing in your relationship with Christ. Remember, go deep with him. Be teachable. Be grateful. Be grateful. And then finally, beware of anything that points you away from Jesus and from his preeminence in your life. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and thank you for your word. I pray, Father, you would, you would protect us from uh, the enemy's efforts to deceive us, help us to see that we can do these things you've shown us in your word so that we don't get caught up in deception. And I pray, Father, in any way that anybody here, myself, us together as a church, any way we may be deceived, that you would shake us away from that. We want to live in the truth, 
You are the truth. Your word is true. We want to honor and glorify you in this way. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, God bless you. Go live this week where Jesus is preeminent in your life.